Father, we just come to you today, and Lord, we have so much to be thankful for this Thanksgiving season. Lord, I just ask that uh, you help us to not make the same mistake that the Israelites made. As soon as Moses was gone, Lord, and uh, as soon as they thought you were out of sight, they turned to, their, to other gods to worship, and, and Lord, had this attitude of ingratitude. And Lord, we don't, just because we're having difficult times, Lord, or just because our, our eyes are focused on other things, help us never to do that, Lord. Help us to be thankful for all you've done for us, not just at Thanksgiving and not just at Christmas, but every single day of the year, Lord. Help us to have an attitude of gratitude. Lord, I, everything that we do of worth comes with a right attitude, and that attitude is an attitude of praise, Lord, an attitude of thanksgiving. Uh, Lord, we ask you to fill our hearts with that kind of attitude, and Lord, we can only have that kind of attitude when our eyes are focused on you, and they're focused on the cross, and we look at all the wonderful things that you've done for us in the past, the things you're doing for us now, and the great future that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, when we truly have our eyes focused on those things, we can't help but have an attitude of gratitude for all Christ has done for us. And Lord, I ask you in his name today to bless this study by the power of your Holy Spirit. And, and uh, Lord, help us to see these grand truths that are here and apply these truths to our lives. I just ask all of that in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, when the pilgrims celebrated Thanksgiving years ago, they had so much hope in their hearts for a grand future for this great country of the United States of America. This past Thanksgiving, as you sat around the table and you were giving the Lord thanks for all the wonderful things he's done for you, it become more difficult to find things to be thankful for, especially as related to our nation. Things have gotten so bad in this country. This has been a tough year, 2020. This COVID uh, virus has, has uh, caused all of these shutdowns. Uh, people have died. People have lost their jobs. Uh, there's riots in the cities. Uh, we've had a political upheaval that that is really almost frightening. If you weren't a Christian, it would be frightening. I heard one of the uh, ladies who is Biden is uh, putting up for uh, one of the positions in his new government, and I heard what she was quoted as saying on MSNBC, and she said that those people that didn't vote for Biden, those 72 million people that voted for Trump, need to be re-educated, and if they're not re-educated, they need to be eliminated. Now, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like China or Russia or, uh, or some communistic dictatorship, and that's what we're facing, except by the, uh, an act of God or by the grace of God, right here in the United States of America. And, and, and so Thanksgiving, from a national standpoint, 
it's really hard to find that many things to be thankful for right now. But we've got to be careful. As born-again believers, we can't allow the circumstances of this nation to cause us to cop an attitude of ingratitude. We just don't want that to happen. I look at the Israelites, and that's, that's where we come to our story today. And they were living in really tough times. I mean, they had a lot to be grateful for, didn't they? Because God had delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. But they didn't just go to the promised land and to, to, to a life of luxury and a life of ease. They had it tough. I mean, they lived in tents for 40 years. Could you imagine living? I mean, I've been camping before in a tent. That's okay for a couple of nights. But 40 years of camping in a tent? That's pretty tough. And, and, and so you can see how they could take on this attitude of ingratitude uh, because things were so tough. They wanted to leave Egypt, go to the promised land, and everything be okay, and it didn't work out like that. And that's not the way life works for any of us. Life is tough. And so that's why gratitude is really magnified not in times of ease, it's magnified in times of of difficulty but we're going to see today as this story develops as we kind of do an overview of these last few chapters of Exodus how God changes their attitude from an attitude of ingratitude to an attitude of gratitude and we can learn a lot about that and and maybe learn how we could remove any leaven of ingratitude we might have in our hearts we're harbored in our hearts during these very difficult times in which we live we don't want to be people of ingratitude. So let's go back to where we left off last time. If you remember, Moses had uh, received the law, and then uh, now he's up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord last week, we saw him give him a couple of weeks ago, give him the, the uh, instructions for the, for the tabernacle. And then last week, we saw him uh, given, the Lord give him the detailed instructions uh, for the priesthood. And the first thing that he showed him were the garments, the garments that the priests were to wear. And if you remember, uh, the first thing that the priest had on was, the, was to put on, and the first thing that they were to make was the ephod. And on the ephod was the breastplate, and the ephod was held together by two onyx stones, and on that breastplate was, was the 12, names of the 12 tribes of Israel, and on the onyx stones, on each onyx stone, there were six on one shoulder, and six names of, of the other tribes on the older sh other shoulder, signifying the fact, or symbolizing the fact, that the high priest was to bear the people of Israel on his shoulders. Really, it was God who is our high priest, who bears us on our shoulders. And then all of the, the, that ephod was made of these garments of different colors. And I was looking last night at the Christmas lights. I was just looking at those lights, and those lights were the same colors. And I was thinking about that. You had that... You have that blue light that represents heaven. You have that uh, white light that represents the righteousness of God or the holiness unto God. Uh, you have the gold light that re represents uh, div divinity. Uh, you have the red light, the most important light, that represents the blood, the blood of the sacrifice. So he, was to ha he, he gave him the instructions for the ephod, and then he gave him the instructions for the for the. Uh, for the breastplate and the, and the onyx stones, and then he gave him the instructions for the miter that he was to wear on his head. And remember, what was on that miter? There was a golden band wrapped around his head that said, holiness 
to the Lord, or holiness unto the Lord. He was to be a holy person. Who made him holy? God made him holy. And then uh, the other thing that he had that he got instruction for were the were the were the tassels of the garment and and uh, the tassels on the tassels. There were to be bells, and the bells were to proclaim the good news that through the sacrifice uh, of the lambs that their sins were covered. And then in between each bell, uh, there was a uh, between each bell there was a uh, uh, golden pomegranate, and that pomegranate spoke of the fact that the priest was to be about the business of planting seeds, and he was to be about the business of bearing fruit. So here was Aaron and his sons, and they were to be dressed better than anybody else in Israel, really better than anybody else in the world. Uh, But before they could actually minister in those garments, they had to be consecrated as the priest of God. And so as we come to the lesson today, we're going to see them consecrated through the offering of two rams. But before they could be consecrated, there had to be something done about their sin. And so we're going to see the sacrifice of the bull or the burnt offering uh, to take care of their sin. And that's what we want to pick up today. So go with me to chapter number 29 of Exodus. Chapter number 29, and pick up in verse number 10. Chapter 29, verse number 10. He says, you shall also, and this is the burnt offering that we're looking at here. This is the sin offering. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Now, why did they put their hands on... The head of the bull, we'll talk about that in just a minute when we look at the ram offering because they're going to do the same thing with the ram. It says, then you shall kill the bull before the the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. Then in verse number 14, he says, but the flesh of the bull with with the skin and the offal are, are the the insides of the bull, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. The reason you burn it outside the camp, for this is a sin offering. This is a sin offering that is a type of the offering that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross. And where did he make that offering? He made that offering outside the camp. Go with me uh, to the book of Hebrews back towards the end of your Bibles, and go to Hebrews chapter number 13. Hebrews chapter number 13. Keep your place there in Exodus. And listen to what he says. Actually go to verse number, Hebrews 13, verse number 12. He says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he's our sin offering, suffered, where did he suffer? Outside the gates. He suffered reproach. They wouldn't even crucify him in the city. He was so despised and rejected that they crucified him outside the gates. He becomes our sin offering. Just like Aaron took these these entrails and the meat of the the bull, and they burned it outside the gates for a sin offering. Jesus was taken outside of the gates, and he 
was crucified. And then look at verse number 13. Therefore, let us go forth to him. This is where we're to go. When we come to Christ, we go to him, not necessarily to his throne room. That's one way you approach Christ. But the other way you approach Christ, as far as your mindset goes, as far as your, your heart goes, you're to approach him outside the gates. You're to remember what he suffered for you, the shame and dishonor that he suffered for you. And whenever you proclaim Christ, and let me tell you what, you go out in this world and you proclaim Christ as your Savior and you say that, and you don't just say, hey, I'm a Christian. You say that Christ died for my sin because I am a sinner. I am a sinner. My heart is desperately wicked and the wages of sin is death and Christ died for me outside the camp. And let me promise you, when you truly teach the gospel as the gospel is given to us in the Bible, when you preach or teach the gospel as it's given to us in the Bible, you're going to suffer reproach. Now, a lot of people love a, a, you know, an American-style Christianity, but when you bring it down to the, the, to the nitty-gritty uh, and you talk about the fact that Christ suffered a bloody death because of you, because of your sin, then you're going to suffer reproach. He says, therefore, let us go out uh, to him outside the camp, beating, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, bearing his reproach. See, Aaron was the priest, and he was put in this high position by the Lord, just like as Christians, we're placed into a very high position by the Lord. We become children of God when we receive Jesus Christ. But this world hates Christ. This world hates the true gospel. And so when you come to Christ where he died for you, then you're going to suffer reproach. And, that, and, 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 and so Aaron, Aaron and them, in some way, had to be humiliated because of this sin offering. They had, it had to be shown that the only way that they could minister before God, on behalf of God for the people, was if they, their sin was dealt with because they were sinners just like everybody else. And you and I are sinners just like everybody else. And the only reason we can serve God, the only reason we're children of God, is because of what, not what we've done, but for, because of what Christ has done for us. All right, then we look at the ram offering. Look at what happens in verse number 14. All right, so, so the sin, before they could be consecrated, their sin had to be taken care of. Aaron's sins and the sins of his sons. Now they're going to be consecrated, and that's going to require a blood offering too. Look at verse number 15. And you shall take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. There they go. They're putting their head on the head of the ram again. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take uh, its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Now, what was happening here? When they put their hands on the head of the bull and the ram, Aaron and his sons were symbolically transferring their sins to that bull and to that ram. And when they killed that animal, they had to kill the animal, then that animal symbolically took the punishment for their sin. And what's the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death. And so the ram and the bull had to die. Now here's where it became part of the uh, 
religion of the Jews and the Jewish people. And they had to do the same thing later on. Whenever the people committed an intentional sin, we won't go to the text for that today, but let me just explain. So they basically had to do the same thing. And they had to do it over and over again. Every time they committed an intentional sin, they had to bring an animal to the tabernacle, and that animal had to be slaughtered. Now, I don't know about you, but I've committed a lot of intentional sins in my life. And there would have to be a lot of rams, a lot of bulls slaughtered for my sin. And what they had to do, every time they killed one of those animals, they had to put their hands on that animal's head, and they had to look that animal in the eye, and then they saw the animal killed, and they had this realization that that animal had been killed for their sins. And, and so... What did that do? That showed them just how serious sin is. And really, that's a picture of what you and I should do every time we commit an intentional sin. You know what we need to do every time you commit a, you and I commit a, an intentional sin? We need to come to the altar. What's our altar? The cross. We need to come to that cross, put our hands on that cross, and I'm not talking about doing this literally. I'm talking about doing this spiritually. And look Jesus in the eyes. Look him in the eyes. And look at him on that cross. And realize that he's dying there for that sin that we've committed. We take our sin way too lightly. And if we would learn to practice that when we sin, I, I tell you what, I think it would cut back on a lot of the sins that we commit. If we would take, see it just how seriously, just to see it as seriously as God sees it, and we go to that cross and we look him in the eye and we say, wow, he's dying there for what I've done. You know, I don't know about you, but I've had to transfer a lot of guilt for my sin on to Jesus Christ over the years that I've lived on this earth. I, I, I understand completely what the Bible says, when the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Let me tell you why it's possible. Because first of all, there's no real value in the blood of bull and goats. But, 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 but let me say, or bull and rams. Let me say this, if there was value, if there was value in that blood, there's not enough bulls and rams to go around to cover all of our sin. If every time you had sinned an intentional sin, and really, most sin is intentional. You know when you sin intentionally. You know when you say something you shouldn't say or you do something you shouldn't do or you go somewhere you shouldn't go or you hear something you shouldn't hear. You, you, you know when you make those intentional sins. And, and, and there's, there, if every time you do that, you see Christ dying for you, I, I mean, if, if every time you did that, you could go get a bull and you could sacrifice that bull, or you could sacrifice that ram, then, then uh, uh, you'd realize real quickly, I don't know about you, but before I was saved, I committed more intentional sins than there is sand on the seashore. And so there are not enough bulls and goats to go around. I, even now that I'm saved, I'm, I'm, I think I live a much better life righteously than I did before, but I still commit intentional sins. And there's not enough blood of bulls and goats to go around, even if that blood had any value. But that blood doesn't have any value. 
What's the blood that has the value? What's the blood that has the, uh, the, the capacity to not only cover my sin, but take away my sin? It's the blood of Christ. It's the blood of eternal, immortal uh, God, the creator of this universe. It's his blood and his blood only that can take away my sin. So, so, so anyway, they, they're consecrated through the, through the, uh, through the uh, their sins are paid for, through the, through, are covered through the burnt offering, and then they're consecrated through the, the offering of the ram, and then pick up now in verse number 19. And look what happens now. It says, and you shall also take the other ram, and so you kill the second ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of the blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. All right, now, so here's what they were doing. They would kill the ram, the second ram. They would put the, the, the blood in a bowl, and then they would sprinkle that blood on their ears, on their thumbs, and on their toes. And what was that symbolic of? It was symbolic of the fact that everything that they heard with their ears, everything that they did with their hands, their thumbs, every place they went with their feet was to be holy unto the Lord. And, and the reason that they could do those things on behalf of the Lord wasn't because of their own righteousness or their own goodness. It was because of the blood. It was only because of the blood. And since they were made holy by the blood, then they were to live holy lives. And everything that they heard with their ears was to be holy. Everything that they did with their hands was to be holy. And everywhere they went with their feet, with their toes, was to be holy. Why? Because of their gratitude to the Lord for the high position that he had placed them in. They were to live holy lives. What about us? We're to live holy lives too. I mean, we can add to that, I mean, you can't put blood in the eyes or they couldn't have seen. Uh, you can't put blood in the mouth or they'd be tasted that blood. But, but, but really, you, we, we need to look at our whole bodies as being touched with the blood of Jesus Christ. And whatever, as Paul puts, says it in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, whatever we do or say or hear or touch or eat or smell or whatever we do or wherever we go, we're to do it unto the Lord. We're to live holy lives unto the Lord. Why? Because we're grateful for what God has done for us. We're grateful that he's taken us out of this world and he's made us his priest. We're grateful that we, he's paid for our sins. We're grateful that he's given us a future and a hope. We're grateful for all the things the Lord does. And so we're to live holy lives. And I got to tell you, in this age in which we live, it is very difficult to live a holy life. I mean, you walk outside these doors. I don't even know if you can get outside these doors, but you walk outside these doors, there's going to be something that's going to touch your life that's going to make you unclean. And, 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 and sometimes we can't help it, but sometimes we allow that into our lives by our own choices, and that's where we go wrong. 
And when we do that, we're showing that we're ungrateful to God for all that he's done for us. We shouldn't allow anything that's unholy into our lives. And i got to tell you, you watch TV, and it's going to be unholy. It's going to make you unclean. You go to a movie, it's going to make you unclean. Now, I'm not here to, you know, become, to, to give you some kind of legalistic uh, uh, way to live life. That's not, what I'm gonna, and that's, that's not what I'm saying here. But we need to think about what we're doing and think about it in the context of what God has done for us. And in gratitude, we should make an effort to live a holy life. And if something comes into our ears that is unholy, we're to push it out of our minds and out of our heads. We're not to allow things into our ears. We're not to use our hands to do things that are unholy. We're not to take our feet to places that are unholy. We're to live holy life because God has made us holy by his blood, by his death on the cross, and in gratitude for what he's done. We're to live holy lives. We're to live righteous lives. But that's difficult. I mean, there were like two shows on TV that I felt I could watch without it feeling dirty after I watched them. And one of those was Duck Dynasty, and they canceled that, or they quit quit the show, and the other one was Last Man Standing. Now, they still run the reruns for Last Man Standing, so I still was watching that up until last week, and I was watching the show, and, and you know, I kind of overlooked the fact the guy owned a pot shop on the side, I mean, he owned a place like Bass Pro Shop, and I really like that, but he also owned a pot shop, shop on the side, and, and so I said, you know, that's really unholy there. But, but uh, he was, his, his son-in-law on the show uh, the other night, Mike Bast Baxter's the main character. Tim Allen plays that character. And his son-in-law on the show was, was uh, having his room painted, and he was having it painted in a neutral color for his little daughter that was about to be born. And he, he was asked why he was painting it in a neutral color, and he said, because when she's born, I want her to pick her gender. And I said, you know what, I'm not, gonna, I'm not listening to that. I said, that's it, that's, that's, that's it. I won't even watch Last Man Standing now. So I'm still with, until Audie Murphy does something like that, I'll still be watching Audie Murphy reruns. But, but that's just an example. I mean, there are so many ways to take those high priestly garments that God has given you, those robes of righteousness that he's clothed you in, and to drag those things through the mud. And in gratitude, what should we be doing? We should be keeping those garments clean at all times. All right, now go to verse number 21 and look at what happens here. And he says, and you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on their garments. And he and his garments shall be hallowed. Now, they'll be even cleaner. It's almost like he's saying, you go through this process and the garments will be even more holy than they were before. And his sons and his sons' garments with him will be hallowed. Now, if you were to buy, if you were a parent and you bought your child a nice new outfit and he went out and he sprinkled blood on it and oil all over it, you'd want to thank him for doing that. But in God's eyes, the sprinkling of this oil and the sprinkling of this blood on the garment made it even more beautiful and glorious to him. 
And why is that? Well, the, the symbolism here is obvious. We know that oil in the Bible is always symbolic of what? The Holy Spirit. And so by sprinkling that oil on Aaron's garments and Aaron's son's garments, he was being anointed in the spirit to do the work that God had called him to do. By sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice on that garment, he was saying that it was through the blood that he's able to do what he's going to do. And, and that's true for us. I mean, for us to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, we have to, we want, first of all, we want to be anointed. We want that anointing oil on us when we do when we serve the Lord. We want that blood on us because it's that blood that gives us our righteousness. And in gratitude for having that blood and having that spirit, then we're to live holy and righteous lives. And that's what Aaron and them should have been doing. And, and uh, they're going to they're gonna do it for a couple of days, but it's not going to last very long. I can tell you that right now. All right, now, so you've, you, you've got the offerings now. And then you look a few verses down, and we won't go into that. The next thing, uh, they offer a wave offering. Now, wave offering is nothing more. He, they took the bread of, the, of the, the free will offering, and they took the, the meat from the offering of the rams, and they waved them before the Lord in gratitude to the Lord for what the Lord had done for them. And then they ate the meat, and they ate the bread, and they ate all of it. They didn't leave any of it. They weren't to leave any of it uneaten. Uh, if, if there was anything left, they were to burn it. And the reason they ate it all, because it's a picture of them consuming that entire offering. We're to consume that offering. That offering that Jesus Christ has made for us. That blood that he has shed for us. We're to consume that spiritually. It's to become part of us. I mean, that cross of Jesus Christ should become so much a part of us that whatever we do or say, we do unto the glory of God. We always have the cross of Jesus Christ on our mind if we're true believers. We're always living our life under the shadow of that cross. We're thinking about what the Lord has done for us. Whenever we listen to something, whenever we say something, whenever we do something, whenever we go to any place, we're living under the shadow of that cross. It permeates our entire so, all right, then now they're consecrated. They're in a position now to make the offerings for the people. And look at the offerings that they make, uh, or the instructions for the offerings that they're going to make, uh, beginning in verse number 38. These are the day, what are called the daily offerings in verse number 38. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar, and this is for the people of Israel. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, one-year-old lambs, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. So you offer one at the beginning of the day, you offer one at the end of the day. When they got up in the morning, there was an offering being made. When they went to bed at night, there was an offering being made. Now look what happens. When all of these things are done, when the tabernacle's built and the uh, garments of the priest are made and the priest begins to minister these offerings on behalf of the people, look at the blessing that they receive. Look down at verse number 42. He says, this shall be a continuous burnt offering throughout your generations. Now, I've said this before on other occasions. 
whenever you see a principle in the law that says this shall be a uh, continuous thing throughout your generations, then we know that symbolically we're being given something here that the principle is to be in effect throughout eternity. And so what's taking place right here isn't just for the Israelites, it's for us too. This shall be a continuous burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you and speak with you. Now that tabernacle was to be planted right in the middle of the camp of Israel. And uh, they were to make those offerings in the morning and they were to make those offerings in, in, in the evening and they were to do it before the Lord. And when they did that, look at what happens in verse number 43. It says, and there I will meet with you with, or, or with the children of Israel and, and, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory, by, 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 my, by my very presence. When all of these things are done, you're going to know that I'm present with you. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will, it, I will make it holy, and I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons, and I will make them holy, and they will minister to be his priests. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that the Lord, that, that, that I am Jehovah Elohim, who brought them out up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am Jehovah Elohim. So get the picture here. You're an Israelite. And every morning you wake up and you go outside your tent and you're facing the tabernacle and you see the smoke coming up into the air from the offering of the ram. And you smell the smoke and you see the glory cloud sitting above the tabernacle. And that sacrifice reminds you of the fact that God is dwelling among his people. And it's through that sacrifice that he's able to dwell or he's willing to dwell among his people. And the very fact, when I come out and I approach the day and I'm an Israelite and I see that the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe, is there present with me, I'm able to face any situation that might come my way that day. Then in the evening, as I'm going back into my tent, I look back towards the tabernacle and I see the smoke of the sacrifice of the ram rising up again. And I, I, I smell the sacrifice. And I close my tent door and I go to bed. I see the glory cloud as I go to bed. And I go to bed and i got to tell you, I sleep tight. I don't have anything to worry about. I don't have anything to worry about because through that sacrifice, I know that God Almighty is dwelling in my midst and he neither sleeps nor he slumbers. And I can rest no matter what enemy comes my way, no matter what beast comes my way, no matter what is going on in the outside world, I can rest because I know the Lord is with me. Now let me ask you a question. And, and, and I hear different things that make me wonder sometimes whether people truly believe this or not. We're, we're always ask, trying to invoke the presence of the Lord. We're always asking the Lord to be present. Lord, please be present with us today. I, I'm guilty of probably saying that too, or praying that too. But where is the Lord? 
Where does he dwell now? He dwells in us. In Colossians 1.27, Paul tells us, it's Christ in you, your hope of glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, do you not know that you are the tabernacle of the living God? Do you not realize that God is with you? I don't care. I mean, you walk out this room, God doesn't leave you. God is with you wherever you go if you're a born-again believer. And it's really sad that so many of us, of us have come to the place where we don't have a realization of his presence. We've lost that realization of his presence. You know, I woke up this morning, and I had, had, a, had, had some dreams that just came out of nowhere. I woke up this morning, and the first thing that I made myself think about was the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if my salvation was based upon what I dreamed, I wouldn't be saved. But I come to that cross and I plead that blood. I said, Lord, hey, no matter what I dream, no matter what I do, no matter where I go today, no matter what happens to me today, you have died for me, you've saved me, and you're present with me. And I can trust you no matter what goes on in my life this day, I can trust that it's going to be for my good because you've promised that. Then I go to bed at night. And before I go to bed at night, and, and I've heard the news of the day, and I, I've, I've, something has sorrowed me or troubled me or, 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 or tried to frighten me. I mean, there's all sorts of situations out there today that, that can cause you to be troubled. You know what I do? I go back to the cross. I go back to the cross and I say, Jesus, you died for me. You shed your blood for me. You gave me your Holy Spirit. You gave me your life. I know that I'm saved not because of anything I did today, because I didn't do that much good today. I know I'm saved because you died for me on the cross. And I can go to bed tonight and I can sleep tight, knowing that the angel of the Lord encampeth around those that fear him. And the Lord's encamped around me. I don't, I, you know, I could leave my doors open. I wouldn't advise that. Uh, but, but, I, but I know the Lord's going to take care of me. No matter what happens in this, out, this world that's, that seems to be falling apart, I know that the Lord is going to uh, take care of me. And, and what should my response be? If I can trust the Lord like that, what should my response be? Be. It should be an attitude of gratitude. Thank you, Lord, that I can live life not in fear, but in joy and peace and love. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me a hope for my future. Thank you that no matter what happens to this world, Lord, that, that, that I, I know that one day I'm going to dwell with you forever in your presence. I can be grateful no matter what's going on around me. And here were the Israelites, and, and, and they're, they're given to us as examples. They had it made in the sense that they were in a close relationship with the Lord. Not as close as you and I, because God for them was outside in a tent. God for us lives in us. But they had it made in the sense that God was present. And they knew that God was, he was, they had seen what he had done to Pharaoh and his armies, and they knew that he was the creator of the universe, and they knew that they didn't have nothing to fear. They had nothing to fear. What should have been their attitude? It should have been an attitude of gratitude. 
God, thank you that I can go to bed tonight and not worry about anything. Thank you that I can get up in the morning and not worry about anything. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to lead me in, in, in the, into the paths of righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that you, you've taken us out of that land of Egypt and you're going to give us a life where we can, we can be in a great relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. That should have been their attitude. But sad to say, it wasn't. For a lot of us, that's not our attitude. Look what happens next, and I'm jumping ahead because, because they get more, they repeat, the Lord repeats the instructions for, the, for, the, for, for some of the things we've already uh, covered. But then look what happens in chapter number 32. While Moses is up on Sinai, just look what happened. Go with me to chapter 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, let us make gods. Let us make gods uh, that shall go before us. For as for Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. He's probably dead by now. He hadn't showed up in 30 days. And hey, we're we're uh, we're uh, we're just going to give this Jehovah thing up. Is that an attitude of gratitude? I remember when the Lord gave them the Ten Commandments. What were the first two commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven in images. And what did they say when the Lord, when they were given that law? They said all that you have said we will do all that the Lord has said we will do and now they're breaking the first two commandments and you would think maybe at this point here's Aaron God has chosen him out of all the people of Israel out of those three million people to be the high priest of Israel the man closest to him the man who would come into the holiest holies once a year and make the on the day of atonement and make the sin offering for the nation I mean he had, he had great privilege great responsibility and, and look at what happens. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at this. Look at what happens next. He says, and Aaron, and Aaron said to him, break off, said to them, break off the golden earrings which are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. In other words, let's make us a God. Moses is probably dead. Jehovah's probably left us. So let's make us a God. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand. And watch this carefully. Watch the process. And he fashioned it. He molded it. He heated up the gold, and he molded it, and grabbed him an engraving tool, and made a molded calf. And that calf was to become their new Lord. Then they said, this is your, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. How sad is that? How sad is that, that they would make a God out of, a, out of gold and make a God in the image of a cow? You see why God didn't want people making images of him? That he's no cow. Why would they make him into a cow? Because a cow is something that man can control. And they wanted a God that they could control. Aaron even liked that idea. And, and, and it's stupid. It's not only sad, it's stupid. Aaron was acting stupid here. 
And, and look what Aaron says. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to Jehovah, our new God, Jehovah the calf. He's our new God. Then they rose up early the next morning for the feast, and the next day, and they offered burnt offerings. And they, they, were, they were acting religious. You know, there's a lot of people who act religious, but when you worship God in a way that God hasn't prescribed, I'm going to tell you, you're blaspheming God, and you're endangering your soul. And that's exactly what these people were doing right here. There's going to be a group of them that's going to end up in hell before this is over with. And then they worship God the way they really wanted to worship God. There's a lot of churches out there that worship God the way they want to worship God. How are we to worship God? God's told us that. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, you're to worship me. The Father desires those who do what? Worship him in spirit and in truth, the truth of his whole word, the entire counsel of his whole word. And they brought peace offerings, and the people all sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They just had a big orgy. That's how they chose to worship this golden calf, their new God, who they just made him their Jehovah. Is that an attitude of gratitude? Can you imagine how the Lord must have felt at this point? He's up on Mount Sinai with Moses, giving him instruction for some really wonderful things for the people of Israel. He's given them a way to have him present in their lives all, at all times. A way to have a relationship with him. A way to be his very own people. A special people unto him. And what are they doing? They've forsaken him for a piece of gold. Is that gratitude? No, that's not gratitude. So meanwhile, back up on Mount Sinai, the Lord tells Moses what's going on down below. And the Lord tells Moses, I'm going to destroy every single one of them, Aaron included. And they're going to all go to hell. And if I was Moses, I would have said, you know, Lord, I think that's a good idea. Just wipe them out. That's what they deserve. You ever feel like saying that about some people? But Moses doesn't do that. And why doesn't Mo Moses do that? Because Moses is full of the Spirit of God. He's full of the love of God. And you know what he does? And God knew what he was going to do. He intercedes for the people. God tells Moses, look, I'll wipe them out and I'll make a new nation out of you. Moses says, no, Lord, don't, please don't wipe them out. Because it won't be them that's harmed in the end. It'll be you who's harmed because your name will be blasphemed because you're the one who brought them out of Egypt. And now you destroy the people, that, the very people that you brought out of Egypt, then, then, then you're going to have mud on your face. And remember your promise, Lord. Remember the promise you made to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. And, and, and the Lord heard him, and the Lord relented. And then Moses leaves Mount Sinai, and he goes down to the people, and he gets there, and it had to break Moses' heart. I know, it, I know it caused him to lose his temper. Because he gets down there and he sees them engaged in this mass orgy before this golden calf. And he took the commandments that were written by the very finger of God. And he threw them down and he smashed them on the ground. 
And then he took that golden calf. I, nobody was, I, I think he was pretty mad, and he was, had that glory on his face, and nobody was going to mess with him. And he ground that calf to powder, and he made the people who were engaged in the orgy drink that gold, that thing that became part of them, that gold. And then he asked Aaron, Aaron, what in the world have y'all done? And I would almost just tell you this and skip it, but it's too unbelievable to, to not read. Listen to what Aaron says in verse number 23. He says, for they said to me, Moses, they said, make us gods that we shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He's probably dead. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off so that they gave, so that they gave it to me. And I cast it into the fire, and out popped this calf. Unbelievable. In verse number 26, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. Choose this day whom you will serve. The devil of the Lord. Those who are on the Lord's side, come to me. And then... And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in uh, out from the entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother. Everyone who participated in this orgy, kill him. Every man, his companion, if it's your wife, it's your neighbor, whoever it is, you kill him. And all who participated in the orgy were killed at the hand of Moses, really at the hand of the Lord. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses goes back to the Lord. He goes back up on Mount Sinai. He receives the new tablets of the law, and the covenant is renewed. Then, you know, we're not going to go into details. They built the tabernacle. They made the garments for the priests. And or they begin to make the garments for the priests. They begin to make the tabernacle. And Moses went to the people, and he asked the people to help in this project. And look what happens. You want to see an attitude of gratitude. Look what happens beginning in chapter 36. He says in verse number 4, And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing him free will offerings every morning. Now all of a sudden, here's these people who were making the calf or witnessed the making of this calf. They didn't participate in the orgy, but they saw this. And they said, this ain't right. This ain't right. They had enough common sense to know it wasn't right. After all God had done for them to, to, to participate in this, to forsake the Lord, it was wrong. And so instead of ingratitude now, they have gratitude. And so the Lord says, hey, bring the stuff to make the tabernacle and make the garments and, and uh, all that gold and brass and all the stuff that was needed. They brought it. And they brought so much. Look at verse number four. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came each morning from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, hey, the people bring it, are bringing too much they're bringing more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. What a great problem to have. 
I kind of wish we had that problem here at Calvary Chapel. I say, stop, guys. Don't give anymore. Uh, I mean, you're giving way too much. <laughs> we, we haven't had that problem, but, but that would be a great problem to have. I'm not getting I don't know of any church that has that problem. Uh, but, but this is amazing. This wasn't a tithe. This wasn't under law. This was a free will offering unto the Lord. And the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You know why the Lord loves a cheerful giver? Because a cheerful, cheerful giver has an attitude of gratitude. You know, I think the greatest thing, one of the, maybe the greatest thing we can give the Lord is our gratitude. And, and, and we can speak gratitude and not really have gratitude in our hearts, but, but through our actions, when we show the Lord that we're grateful for what he's done for us, through what we give, through how we serve, through how we treat others, through how we pray, through how we worship. When we do all of those things, we're expressing to him a heart of gratitude, and he loves a cheerful giver. What, what changed their attitude? Well, first of all, you got rid of all the people who had that real bad attitude of gratitude. They were gone. And then the other thing was that they just looked out and, hey, they came to their senses and said, this isn't right. Now, they're going to go back and forth and waffle between gratitude and ingratitude just like we all do. But at least for now, they were thankful to the Lord for all that the Lord had done for them. And then we go on and they build the tabernacle. You can see it in the next few chapters. We won't go through. They build all the... Uh, instruments for the tabernacle. Uh, they make the garments uh, they, for the priesthood in chapter 39. And then in chapter 40, they erect the tabernacle. And now we can finish up the book of Exodus. Kind of going to hate to leave it because we're going to leave it on such a good note. Look at verse number, beginning in verse chapter 40, verse number 33. Here's that day finally came when they were all finished. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen uh, of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Now look what happens. Here's these people with an attitude of gratitude ministering to the Lord according to the directions of the Lord. And look what happens. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And his presence was so powerful and so wonderful that Moses couldn't even enter the tabernacle. This friend of God, it says in verse number 35, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and it was so much love and so much joy and so much peace. It was so much he couldn't even stand it. He couldn't even stand. He, he knew he would die if he stayed in that tabernacle. And then we, we get this kind of footnote here about the, about the glory of the Lord and how he functioned for the people of Israel uh, in a pragmatic way, beginning in verse number 36. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up for the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle day by day and the fire over it by night 
in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. For 40 years, they knew that the Lord was with them. Do you realize that that same glory cloud that dwelt in that temple that day, in that tabernacle, that rested there with those people, is the same glory cloud that rests in the tabernacle of a true believer in Jesus Christ? I, I mean, do you realize that in such a way that you actually experience his very presence in your heart? Have you ever had that experience? If you've never had that experience, I challenge you to, to, to ask the Lord to come to you in such a way one day. Maybe it won't happen. I've heard some people say they've tried for experiences like that their whole life and it never happened. But, but it's, it's more than an experience. It's a reality. Whether you experience it or feel it or not, there is a reality that if you're a born-again believer, the glory of the Lord rests upon your soul in your body in this tabernacle you don't have to invoke the presence of the lord the lord is present with you if the lord doesn't come and go like he did in the old testament for the new testament believer he is there in you always christ in you your hope of glory your hope of the presence of the lord he's in you if you're a true believer i gotta tell you if you're a true believer and you really believe that it's going to change the way you live I mean, when you really are experiencing the presence of God, it's going to change the way you live. And if you really follow his pattern, there's going to come a time when his glory might very well come upon you in a way you can't even take it. There's so much love and so much peace and so much joy, you just can't take it. I don't know if you've ever read the testimony of Charles Finney, who was accredited with leading the second great awakening in America. I wish we would have a third great awakening right now. Some say Billy Graham led a third great awakening. Well, we need a fourth if, if, if that was the third. But Charles Finney tells a story of when he first encountered the Lord in a real way. He'd gone to church his whole life, but he had this experience. He was in his office. He was a lawyer, and he had this experience in his office, and he said, Lord, if you show me you're real, I'll give you my life and and and." And the Lord came upon Finney, and here's how Finney described it. He said he came upon him in waves of love. Just this feeling of love came over him and over him and over him. And it was so strong that he thought he was going to die. He said, Lord, if you don't stop, I'm going to die. That'd be a great way to die. Die full of the joy and love and peace of the Lord. Wouldn't that be a great way to go? Lord, take me out that way. That would be fantastic. What gets in our way of really experiencing the reality? I mean, I believe most of you are born-again believers, so Christ is in you. How many of you believe Christ lives in you? Raise your hand if you don't. But, but yeah, Christ, you believe that. How many of you, well, I won't even ask this because I don't want to put you on the spot, 
How many of you experience, really experience that? Well, let me tell you why you don't experience it if you're not experiencing it. It's because you've got too many golden calves in your life. You waste your time, we waste our time and energy on stupid things, things that don't edify, cisterns that don't hold water. And then we wonder why we never really experience the Lord. And, and I'll tell you why the Israelites worshipped a golden calf. What was the reason behind it? Their ingratitude. I got to tell you, when we lose sight of the fact that the Lord is living in us, that reeks of an attitude of gratitude. If I truly believe that holy God, the creator of the universe, his spirit dwells in me, I'm going to be truly grateful for that. And let me tell you how it's going to manifest itself. I'm going to look, get up in the morning, and the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to look at that cross, and I'm going to say, thank you, Lord, that through your blood, you're able to live in me, Christ in me, my hope of glory. I have nothing to worry about this day. And I'm going to go to bed at night, and I'm going to look back at that cross, and I'm going to say, Lord, thank you so much. Even though this day didn't go the way I liked it, I know that it worked out for my good because you died for me and shed your blood for me on a cross. And when we live like that in an attitude of gratitude, that's when the glory cloud manifest itself himself in such a way that we have no doubt about his presence don't rob yourself of a continual experience of the presence of God by worshiping golden calves by going places with your blood tip toe you shouldn't go by doing things with your blood tip hands you shouldn't do by listening things to things and watching things with your blood tip ears that you shouldn't hear those things will grieve the spirit of God and you're still saved but you're robbing yourself of a grand blessing the blessing of the presence of the glory of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the instructions that you've given us. They're so clear, Lord. And the, Lord, the number one instruction is that we be grateful for all the wonderful things that have been done for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to live this from this moment on, mindful of your presence in our hearts. Help us to honor your presence, because by honoring your presence, Lord, we show you that we have an attitude of gratitude. Lord, move us. It's tough in these times to keep an attitude of gratitude, but move us in that direction, Lord so that we truly can experience you the way you would have us experience you in a real and wonderful way. I just ask you to touch all of our hearts with that reality, Lord, 
that you're there and that you want to manifest yourself to us. We just thank you for that great privilege, Lord. We thank you in Christ's name I pray. Amen.